Father God, we recognize there is no one like Jesus, and we worship together. Um, we're reminded of who he is, his great power that's in his name and his great love for every one of us, Father. And today as we open your word and study it, my prayer is that we would, Father, that we would be um, those who would have open hearts and minds, Lord, that I would be open to your spirit and your leading and that, Lord, as we look at your word, we know that it has the power to transform us. And so, Lord, wherever we happen to be today, we, we honor you and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his most precious name we pray, amen. Well, it is great again to uh, have you guys here today. I wanted to uh, ask you the question, um, when was the last time you were amazed or astonished at something? When was uh, the last time you found yourself being amazed or astonished at something? Maybe it was... Uh, on a hike. I love to go hiking, and I love to see the beauty of God's nature. And so we were at uh, Don Robinson State Park uh, like five or six weeks ago down by Catawissa, and uh, we were hiking, and there's this one trail that goes through this huge ravine that has these huge rock walls all around it. It's just beautiful. It's just, it's amazing to us. Or you know, we were uh, uh, staying at uh, Cape Hatteras several years back, and when we were there, because of where we were at, you could see both the sunrise and the sunset in a very little distance there, and so that was just amazing to see that. Um, I've been as a minister in, you know, the hospital room with the family when they've had a new baby, and it's always so cool to see that and pray with that family. But you know what? There's nothing quite so amazing as the birth of your own children. And just it just takes your breath away. But here's the danger that I've discovered through the years, and that is that that which is so amazing and so extraordinary to us, um, if we're not careful, there's the danger that that can become ordinary. So now I've been a, a Christian for <clears throat> over 50 years. I've been a minister for almost 40 of those 50 years. And there are times, if I would be honest with you, in which my view of Jesus um, and my relationship with Jesus was just kind of ordinary. It was just kind of humdrum. And I have a feeling some of you understand that, even though maybe you don't always feel comfortable saying it that there's been seasons in your life where Jesus is just kind of, you know, there. That Jesus in your walk with him either were or maybe <clears throat> even right now um, somewhat ordinary. And so over the past couple of months, I've just had this sense, this pull of God on my heart that we as a church have kind of found ourselves in this state of I don't know if you want to call it stagnation, if you want to call it ordinary, you know, obviously there's a lot of factors in that, but I have sensed that God really pulling our hearts and minds for this particular verse, and it's Paul praying in Ephesians 1, and he says this, I keep asking, I love how he says that, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gracious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That last part, so that you may know him better. I don't, I don't know about you, but I want that prayer answered in my heart. I want to know Jesus better. And my prayer for this church is that every single one of us, that we would grow in our understanding of Jesus Christ. I want 
my relationship to move if it's at that place from being ordinary to extraordinary, um, from just being kind of mundane to being magnificent. I, I want my relationship with Jesus and all of ours to grow to this point of real amazement. So that's why we're beginning this year with a new series simply entitled, Who is This Jesus? Who, who is this Jesus? And our goal for 2021 as a whole church is that we would get to know Jesus Christ better. And so to accomplish that goal, what we're going to do through the whole year, from now all the way till the end of December, is we're going to spend all of that time in the Gospel of Luke. And so that's why I've asked you on multiple occasions to read through the Gospel of Luke. Um, you know, we've given you some reading plans that you can use, or you can just open up and just start reading through the Gospel of Luke. Maybe you want to get a notebook that says Luke on it or something, and you can begin to journal or take notes or keep thoughts about that. But we're going to spend 2021 getting to know Jesus better. So I want to take a moment and introduce you to this guy, Luke, who wrote this particular gospel. Um, so this is Luke chapter 1. So I want to read the first four verses. So open your Bibles to Luke 1 or turn on your phone or your tablet. Those of you online, make sure that you're following along as well. But here's what Luke says in Luke chapter two, 1, verse 1. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here's Luke writing this account of the life of Jesus, an orderly account, he says, but he's writing to this friend of his by the name of Theophilus. We don't really know anything about Theophilus other than he was somebody who was probably struggling with his faith. But I love what it says there at the end where he words this. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. That's what Theophilus needed to know. And that's what I want you all to be able to know that you have this certainty of the things that we've been taught about Jesus Christ, that we can grow in our understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the reason this is so important is because the more you and I get to know Jesus, the more amazing he becomes to us. Because you see, Jesus is not um, just some man. He's not just, wasn't just some good teacher, but Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus has the power and the ability when we dig in and learn about him to literally change our hearts and our minds to help us to grow in our love and our understanding and our amazement about Jesus Christ. And so in the Gospel of Luke, there are many stories in which people um, either just say they're amazed or they show amazement. It's either in their words or their actions, but they're just amazed at what Jesus has done or at who Jesus happens to be. And so what do we learn from those reactions or responses? What do we learn from those responses in which somebody was amazed at what Jesus did or somebody said, who is this Jesus, and were astonished at the things that he was doing? And the reason I want us to reflect on how do I react is this, how I react and respond to Jesus will be crucial in our journey of faith this year. I mean, the, the first event then that we're going to study together today um, 
contains not one but two different reactions of amazement by two different people in this, or two different groups of people. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so we're, we're going to study together verses 39 through 52, Luke chapter 2, and so I'm going to read it out loud. You follow along in your Bible. Those of you online, follow along in your Bible. Let me read this for us, and then let's dig into our story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard it was, here it is, amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, here it is again, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So one of the least known times in the life of Jesus falls between his birth There we go, we got it done, right? Falls between his birth, right, and his entrance into ministry or his baptism. In fact, Luke is the only gospel writer who gives us any kind of picture outside of the birth or beginning into his ministry. He gives us this small glimpse into this period of Jesus' life. Or here's verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So after the birth of Jesus, you know, they had the shepherds and the angels, the wise men visited them. They had to flee to Egypt because of Herod. So they come back, but instead of living in Jerusalem, they move up to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus is raised. But Luke does something very interesting with this story that he tells, and I don't know if you noticed it, but he bookends it by two very similar statements about how Jesus grew. And so here they are, verse 40 is one of them, and the child grew and became strong, he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And then notice at the end of it, verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. So I think most families have photo albums, right? Anybody out there have a photo album that you have? This is one that my mom actually made of me and my sisters and our whole family. There's cute little Dougie there. Let's see, there, there I am at the St. Louis Zoo by the elephants. I don't know how long ago. August 1968. So there's pictures in the back. There's uh, pictures of me kissing all these brides and our family and stuff. So typically with a photo album, um, what do you do? You put as many pictures as you can. You know, of course, now most of that's digitally, but people still do that. 
But what happens is the oldest child always gets the most pictures and the most stuff in the photo album. By the time you come to the third or fourth one, it's like, you know, there's too many other things to do. If they get one picture, they're lucky. That wasn't the case with Jesus Christ. Of course, they didn't do photo albums back then. But if they did, what you would find is basically two pictures from the life of Jesus in the photo album. You get the picture of his birth, right? And then you got the picture of him being 12 years old. So we're going to look at the 12-year-old, maybe we'll call it a page, but maybe just one photo in the photo album of Jesus Christ and what is going on here. So here's verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. So we learned some things about Mary and Joseph just in this simple statement. We learned that they were very devout Jews. Jewish males were required to attend three significant festivals in Jerusalem every single year, and one of them was the festival of the Passover. But Mary accompanied him, which demonstrated a greater devotion because only the guys had to go. And they took Mary as well as Jesus, the whole family joined in. So they're making their way to Jerusalem. Now, does your family tell stories about things that your family has done in the past. You guys tell stories like that. We, we tell family stories. Uh, really, the reason we tell family stories is because my wife's family always told family stories. If you want to laugh, just ask her to tell some stories about her family growing up. But we, we tell stories, and so, you know, we'll be sitting there together, and we'll say, you know, do you remember that vacation where we ran out of gas, and that weird guy picks us up and took us to the gas station? Or do you remember that time where we slept under the tarp and the raccoons walked over our legs the next morning? Or do you remember the time where we sat outside the gates of Yellowstone waiting for them to open only to learn later there are more gates that aren't locked that you could have gone in a lot earlier? Or do you remember that time we visited Washington, D.C.? And what's the big spire? What's that big tall one called? Thank you very much. The Washington Monument had scaffolding all over it. That's what we got to see. In fact, do you remember when we went to Washington, D.C. and only saw the back of the White House? I mean, so we tell these stories. Do you think Mary and Joseph look back on this particular occasion in Jesus' life and say, do you remember the time we lost Jesus? Do you remember the time that we lost God? That would be an embarrassing story to tell, right? But that's exactly what happened to them. So Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. So here's verse 43. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it. So we're not going to let every parent here admit the times that they were unaware of what their kids were doing, right? Sometimes we don't want to know. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now somebody may ask, well, how on earth did Mary and Joseph lose Jesus? How could they not know that he was with them? So we, like some of you, but we've been a part of church our whole life, and we have, we have left all three of our kids at least one time at church when we went home. We've done that with all three of our kids at least one time. I remember the time Kevin, our middle son, um, for some reason he fell asleep in one of the back rooms, Sunday school rooms back there, and of course I thought Patty had him. And Patty thought I had him. We took, always took at least two cars, and when they got older, we'd sometimes take three. And so it was easy to think she's got him or she think I was. And I remember when we got the phone call from Kevin at the church building and said, uh, can somebody come back and please get me, you know? So here's Mary and Joseph 
So they're going from Nazareth town to Jerusalem. This would have been a huge traveling caravan because for protection and just for ease and for planning, all kinds of things, it would have been a huge group of people that traveled, and many of those people would have been family or really good close friends. So it's easy to think they, you know, Jesus is with Mary. Or Mary thinking Jesus with Joseph, or they're thinking they're, Jesus with, is with their friends. But by the end of that first day, as they're traveling away from Jerusalem, you can begin to see their stress level go up as they realize neither of them have them, and they can't find them in, among any of their family and friends. And what are we good at doing as parents, right? We go to the worst case scenario. And I think that's what's happening to them. So Mary and Joseph end up leaving the caravan, and they make their way back to Jerusalem one whole day back. So a whole day out, a whole day back. Here's verse 46. After three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking for or asking them questions. Now, a parent would know how your anxiety and your stress and ultimately your anger grows the, the longer it takes you to find your child, right? But when they finally find him in the temple, the kind of relief that must have come to them. Verse 47, everyone who heard him, so everybody there in the temple, or at least the teachers heard him, were amazed. What? At his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for him. Now, I don't think Mary and Joseph even saw anybody else. I don't think they noted everybody else was amazed at Jesus here because their fear and anxiety had reached this level, this significant, that when they found Jesus, you know, the astonishment of Mary and Joseph at finding Jesus spills out and he says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why have you done this? It's such a parent response, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. We blame the kid, you know, for our stress and anxiety, and we, we just let them have it. You know, maybe, and it's interesting because it's Mary who says that. I don't know if women are better at putting the guilt trip on men or if it's just a Jewish mother thing. I don't know what it is. I'm, somebody one time told me that my mother is a travel agent for guilt trips. I don't know if you have a mother who's like that, but here's what's, it's, I can completely understand their level of stress here, and it's difficult enough to be a parent, right? Every parent here knows that, but you are the parent of the Son of God, the Alpha and Omega. You are the parent of the first and the last, the great I am. There is some serious pressure on you as parents here, and you've lost Jesus Christ, Right? And so they find him. Why did you do this to us? How does Jesus respond? Verse 49, why, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, we know 12-year-olds are really good at being sassy, but I don't, I don't see this as a sassy response here. I see this as kind of, he's a little bit confused, you know? I mean, it's like, why, why would I be anywhere else but my father's house. And then there's an interesting play on words here, because Mary says, your father and I, you know, we're looking for you. And then Jesus turns it around and Jesus says, but I must be in my father's house. Now, it wasn't a slam on Joseph, because Joseph was very important to Jesus here. 
But Jesus is showing a deep um, understanding of his real identity, even at a young age, a deep awareness of who he really is. So then Luke continues, verse 50, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I love that. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. You know, I've had times where I've looked at my kids, you know, and they've said something, they've given an excuse or a reason why they did something, and it's like, what? Are you, is your brain even working right now? I mean, are you thinking this through? I don't know if this was, they didn't understand him, you know, they're so ticked off that they can't even think. You ever been there as a parent, right? It's just like, uh. Or is this, they didn't understand because they're just shocked, shaking their heads like, how does he have this kind of insight and understanding? So what did Jesus do? He submitted to them. He went home with them. He obeyed them. He lived with them. And there's a couple of very important things about Jesus himself, about his character, that he grasp, even at the age of 12 years old, that's important for us to kind of think about and wrestle with. Number one, Jesus knew his identity and purpose from a very young age. He knew his identity and purpose from a very young age. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's both a statement of his identity as well as a statement of his purpose. His identity, even though it was tied to his earthly parents, you know, Mary and Joseph here, it was really tied to his relationship with his heavenly father. He was God in the flesh. And even at 12 years of age, Jesus knew who he happened to be. But then when he says, you know, I need to be in my father's house, it was more than um, just saying I need to live in the temple, right? He wasn't saying that. What he, what he was really saying is that I... I I need to be about my father's work. I need to be doing what my father wants me to do. And we need to understand that Jesus' identity and purpose did not begin when he was 30 years of age at his ministry start. I mean, his identity and purpose began from the beginning of time. He is and will always be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So what do you need to grasp about the identity of Jesus? What is it maybe that you're going to have to wrestle with over this year as we study through Jesus here? The second thing about Jesus is that he was willing to submit and obey, really, even though he knew better, right? Even though he was God. You know, it says he went down to Nazareth and he was obedient to them. I mean, in spite of him being God with us, Jesus was still, you know, Jesus was fully divine. We know that. But Jesus was also fully human, which meant he still had to wrestle with the same kind of emotions and temptations and things that you and I go through as being fully human. And even though he was sinless, it didn't mean that it came just you know, naturally to him or it didn't mean it came automatically to him. He had to be able to wrestle with these kinds of things, lessons in his life that he had to learn, and they came through obedience and I think it's also a demonstration of his humility, that he was willing to submit himself, humble himself, be obedient to his parents there. And I think another thing we're going to have to wrestle with this year is what lessons in obedience and humility do I have to learn? What is it in the area of obedience to God or humility 
that I'm going to have to wrestle with through this whole year. I mean, Jesus learned lessons as a child that helped him as an adult. He learned to obey his earthly parents so that he could eventually be about his father's business when it came time to do that. See, it's so crucial to grow in our understanding and awareness of Jesus Christ. And we're going to encounter through this year times of amazement, times of being a little perplexed, times of, um, you know, being bewildered, times of being astonished at the things we learn about Jesus Christ. But ultimately, all of those kind of things are going to lead us to this question, so how, how, how will I react to that? And when we encounter this year something new or amazing or confusing, I want to know what kind of a reactor are you? If I ever wanted to get rid of Brian McKenzie, this was my chance. You know those banana shakes she likes to make, right? Well, that's why I thought she'd like a blender. I guess I can see your point. I mean, a blender does suggest a certain... This was a 1950s reference to sexual politics, but... I swear, it never entered my consciousness at the time. I believe you. You do? Would you tell Annie that for me, Dad? This was where I was going to lower the boom. But instead, I looked into his weepy eyes and found myself saying, Sure, I'll tell her. Oh, good. Because I know whatever you say, she'll believe. Not only was I not getting rid of the kid, I now found myself talking him into staying. You know, Brian, Annie's a very passionate person, and passionate people tend to overreact at times. Annie comes from a long line of major overreactors. Me, I can definitely lose it. My mother, a nut. My grandfather, stories about him were legendary. The good news, however, is that this overreacting tends to get proportionally less by generation. So your kids could be normal. So as we go through this year, I mean, there's going to be, as we study through and you read through the Gospel of Luke, there's going to be some things that we're going to encounter that are going to amaze us and astonish us or whatever. And the real question is, how am I going to react to that? What's my response going to be to that? Because your response to your amazement determines whether or not you're going to get to know Jesus better and allow him to change your heart and my life. So I want to notice two different responses. The first one is the response of the teachers in the temple there, all right? Verse 46. It says, After three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So the teacher, it says, were amazed at his understanding and his answer. That word amazed means to be so astonished as to almost lose one's composure. So these guys are sitting there, and they're listening to Jesus give answers and ask questions, and they're just like almost beside themselves. It's, it's, I think they are looking at this 12-year-old boy as like, this is like a prodigy. I mean, we need to make sure we get a hold of this guy. He needs to be one of us teachers when he grows up here. And it, they saw Jesus as this prodigy. They were amazed at Jesus, you know, his questions, his understanding. But we also learned they were never interested in who he actually was. Because as Jesus grew and entered into ministry, 
Um, it was this very same teachers that were there. I mean, we're only talking probably eight years down the road when he entered into ministry. Those very same teachers that became more and more contentious towards Jesus. Some of those very same teachers would have been the same teachers that ultimately moved from this amazed at Jesus and his understanding to such hatred that they wanted to crucify him on the cross. And sadly, it isn't that far from amazement to animosity if one isn't careful. And these leaders, they're not a whole lot different from you and I. They love God. They love God's Word. They love living for God. But their hearts grew stubborn and they refused to let go of their pride. And as we spend this whole year in the Gospel of Luke, again, you and I are going to encounter some challenging teachings. We're going to encounter, encounter some things that really go against maybe what we've held on to for so long. And we're going to have to wrestle with some new things. And the question is, how am I going to respond? Am I going to be like these teachers who, you know, were amazed when they in initially met him, but ultimately moved to a place that was so stubborn in their hearts that they wanted to kill Jesus Christ. So we have the teachers and their response. On the other hand, we have the amazement or the astonishment of Mary and Joseph. So verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for them. So they've been astonished. So that word amazement for the teachers and astonishment for Jesus have kind of the same root. But the astonishment that they had was almost like this look from outside. They weren't, you know, fully enveloped in it or fully a part of the story there. In other words, what happened to Mary Joseph is that their role as parents influenced their perspective of what was going on in the temple right there with Jesus himself. They couldn't help but allow their anxiety and their fear to taint this amazing event. They couldn't see Jesus' insight because they could only see their own hurt. And I, I get that. Because I can become so entrenched in some long-held beliefs that I have that it can be almost impossible to move beyond those because fear and anxiety or, you know, my long-held beliefs just kind of get in the way. I got to tell you that through the years of being in ministry and as a Christian, I, I've been forced by God to change my perspective on some things, you know, things like, you know, the role of the church and what the church ought to be. I mean, good grief, this last year has really made that, you know, very evident to us. Um, parenting, how I parent, it's just I've been forced to have to change. Um, you know, the role of uh, different people in the church, who I call, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ has really had to change through the years. Even on difficult issues, I've been forced to change, like on divorce or even on racism. I mean, the last two or three years has forced all of us to have to encounter that, Right? To have to really look at that in our hearts and our lives and what is happening in America. Now, before you shut me out, I want to remind you that God most often uses difficult circumstances, whether in our life or in our experience, to force us to have to reflect and even grow. 
I, I have to have, when I encounter things in God's Word that are challenging, I have to have a humble heart and be willing to say, what does God want to teach me? And so we, we have to wrestle with these kind of things in our life because it's so easy to hold on to these firmly held beliefs about any kind of issue and allow our fear, right, or, or what if to to keep us from allowing God to change our hearts and our minds. And so as we go through different things in God's Word and you encounter some of these things, we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I willing to learn? Am I open to God's Spirit? Am I willing to grow? Am I willing to let God change my heart or life? Or will I hold so firmly to my long-held beliefs that I turn my back on an area that God really wants to work in my heart and my life? And here's where Mary differs from those other teachers. While they move from astonishment to jealousy and anger and hatred, Mary moved from astonishment to treasuring to some confusion, ultimately to believing and to worshiping and to following. Now, you've got to understand, that was not a straight line for Mary. And the way God works in our lives is not a straight line necessarily for us. He does different things and takes us through different places. We're even going to encounter a time when Mary and her, and her sons, Jesus' brothers, thought Jesus was wacko. They came to try to take him away because he was so crazy. But move with me then in time, you know, from here past the, the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. And we come to the start of the church in the early parts of Acts and you got all the apostles, the key leaders, gathering together. And here's Acts 1.14. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. And then notice this, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, this story in Acts, or, uh, Luke 2 is the last time we hear anything about Joseph. We don't know what happened to Joseph. But we do learn that Mary and the brothers of Jesus moved to a place of complete acceptance in that Jesus was the Messiah. They were followers of his. In fact, one of Jesus' brothers, James, was one of the key leaders in the church. And thankfully, we can move from this astonishment, even through some difficult confusion, bewilderment, but ultimately to a place of acceptance and total faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we've got to be intentional. And we've got to be willing in our hearts to say, can, can I allow God's Word to change and mold me? We have to ask ourselves, will I stay stuck in whatever it is I'm happened to think or believe at this time? Or will I allow the Spirit of God to help me to grow? And my prayer for us as a church family, for every single one of us, is that we would allow God to change us. My prayer is the same one that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, all of us, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. So how are you and I going to react and respond to Jesus? Are we going to be like you know, Mary and have a hope and humble heart? Are we going to be like the teachers who stubbornly held on to their pride? I, I pray that we will allow God to have the control that he needs in our lives. Father God, I thank you for your love, for this opportunity to just begin this study through the whole gospel of Luke. And I pray 
your work and your power and your blessing in our lives that you would open our hearts and our minds, Father, to you so that we can, at the end of this year, look back and just be amazed at what you've done in our lives. Father, Lord, we love you and we surrender to you total control of our lives, Father. It's in your most precious name we pray. Amen.